This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Welcome to another episode of the February Room. We hope you enjoyed last week's podcast, and if you did, remember to rate, review, and follow. We appreciate your support. Life can be busy between relationships, jobs, and those family traditions. It can feel pretty overwhelming sometimes. So as any good therapist would tell you, before you get to the breaking point, you need to find something that keeps you grounded. And for a lot of us, that's including me, that means to get out and go fishing, which is also exactly what my next what my next guest does. Thank you so much for joining me today, John Morris. Hey, Lauren, thanks so much for having me. All the way from Texas, correct? Yes, ma'am. Well, and all Texans have great fishing stories, and I can't wait to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> I have several, but the first one that comes to mind, I would say, was it felt the most earned, was my personal best largemouth bass. And it wasn't actually here in Texas. It was in Tennessee. And um, it was just trial after trial of, I just bought this this new rod and reel I say just bought it. I bought it like seven months prior to this fish and I could not catch a fish on it. I couldn't. It didn't matter what what bait I was throwing, anything at all. I just could not catch a fish. I felt like the size of a pea. 
I was, I was really reconsidering why I was getting into fishing again. And I tied on, this was with traditional gear at the time. I, I tied on this red and black crankbait that everyone said wouldn't work. And I threw it out and I wasn't even really paying attention and ended up smoking this five and a half pound large mouth. And it was, it was unreal. I can, I can just remember holding both of my hands in that fish's mouth. It was, it was pretty unreal. You know, I, when I went bass fishing in Wisconsin, I could not catch one either. And I was totally getting skunked. And what I was doing is I was stripping too fast um, because I think I was so used to catching pike in these rivers. Um, you have to sp- strip a lot faster and in the lakes um my neighbor like came over he's like you need to calm down you're stripping I was like okay like you have to pop it like it was a pop it like pop like little do a pop and then I did catch one and it is when you catch a a large mouth bass they are pretty insanely beautiful and their mouths are fun and the way that they come up and just like eat it you're just like oh my gosh it's it's a beast they're just they're there's they really are you know they're this renowned species, more or less, here in the United States, at least in the southern, you know, um, portion of it. You know, we love largemouth. But getting into fly fishing, I, I started to realize it's more than just this, this quote, trophy fish. It's, it's a really beautiful species and in a lot of different facets. So it, I've got this really grand respect for a largemouth bass now. Yeah, no, agreed. I love it. Um, in the very beginning, I was kind of talking about like how fly fishing grounds us. And, um, when we had started discussing, um, and learned a little bit more about who you are, um, fly fishing is, and fishing in general is a big passion, um, and in how it grounds you. Can you tell, tell, um, us a little bit about how you got into fly fishing and how that became part of your daily routine, um, to ground you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so uh i guess we rewind several years now it's it's 2018 and i'm an army veteran and i'm coming back from iraq and i just felt really off kilter you know i was really akimbo i couldn't figure out how or where i really belonged is what it felt like you know it was this i I, i'm not exactly sure what they call it but you know it's we had this purpose there overseas. We, it was a very def- definite purpose. We knew what we were doing. And there were, I think there was like 16 of us total there where we were. And, you know, I come back and I, I'm, I can't find that purpose. So I've, I've got this void missing and uh, I felt like, I don't know, I, uh, I wasn't doing and so I started reading some books. I, uh, I read the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi. Um, you know, I read The Art of War and <laughs> a lot of these books. And I just I started to connect with those. And so I, I was like, man, I need to I need to just go fishing. So I got a license and I went out and I started fishing. And I was like, man, this this was it. This is what I was missing. It, it brought me back to just, it was this childlike wonder. It wasn't just nostalgia, I guess, but it was just being able to reconnect with nature. And it really brought me that peace I needed. And then um, uh, then I worked uh, with an aviation company and I spent two years in Afghanistan 
And coming back from that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to a war zone again. I'm not doing it. It doesn't matter how much money someone gives me or whatever. I'm, I need to be home. I need to raise my family and I need to be a husband. So I quit all that and I came home. And I, I guess I was home for maybe two months and I found this local fishing group on Facebook and I met up with them and one of them was fly fishing. And I was like, man, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, you should, you should really try it. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm not quite the river runs through it kind of guy. I like chucking big <laughs> jigs. I like chucking big jigs on some traditional gear. And they're like, well, you, ought, you really ought to give it a shot. They're like, you know, you can catch more than just trout on a fly rod. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, if, I mean, you can you can catch anything on a fly rod. <laughs> so I was like, it's okay. It's so true. <laughs> I was like, okay. I went to a sports store. I went there and uh, I bought this $45 combo and it was it was terrible. Looking back on it, it was, <laughs> it was the worst $45 you could spend. But it got me on the water and... I quickly lost all six of those flies that came with that kit. Every one of them. I was like, okay, <laughs> well, um, anyway, I, uh, I ended up tying this crappie jig on the end of my line way too heavy. I mean, it was like throwing stones. It was like, I was trying to Euro nymph this bad boy. And, <laughs> and I caught a bass and I was like, I was like, oh man, this, this is it. I can catch bass on this. This is this is my calling. I loved it. It was just something therapeutic about every it was just the motion of it. It was just it was artistry in motion. It was expression, you know. So you're self-trained fly flyingler like you just went on your own and not really knowing exactly what to do. I didn't know anything to do. I didn't know how to cast. I didn't know where to get flies. I didn't know who uh, any of these people were in the fly fishing industry or in the world, period. I didn't know anything about fly fishing, but a river runs through it. That's literally it. And, yeah. that, and that the flies looked cool on hats in the Great Smoky Mountains. Like, that's all I knew. Oh, my gosh. What a great story. And first off, Thank you so much for your service. Um, we've had uh, Project Healing Waters um, have with Blaine Tomlinson. He came on and just kind of discussed about exactly how um, what you did, what you were just saying is purpose. And for Project Healing Waters, a lot of it comes back with people with pretty severe um, traumatic brain, um, what was it, PTSD, and what they kind of figured out with. Um, fly fishing isn't actually like the art of fly fishing, but it's, um, the knots, the fly tying, like all of the small mechanisms that you, that you do on the vice and on the water with the knots is a way of your brain, um, working those small muscles in repairing. And I can't remember exactly. Blaine said that much better than I did with better terminology and and so I think it's just so wonderful to have, um, find that purpose. And I can't thank you enough for your service because as much as you say, thank you, thank you. We have no clue. People who aren't in the service know anything that goes on over there. And, um, for you to have that firsthand, um, really do appreciate all the things that you do to keep, um, us safe. Well, you know, thank you so much for saying that <laughs> when I was much younger, I didn't know how to respond to, you know, people saying that, just someone saying thank you for your service and what you've done. 
But as I've gotten older, it's become a lot easier. It's like takes time to reflect on that, right? Like where you're like, how do I, when you get older and you're kind of able to reflect on your service and the things that you've done, you're like, how do I respond to this? And yeah. So how, I mean, is it easier for you just to accept it? Or were you like more hesitant not to want to say um, you're welcome? Yeah, the it, it was it was hard to answer because, you know, when you're around a military base, you hear it a lot. I mean, you, you hear a lot of things, but yeah, you hear that all the time, especially if you're in uniform, you know, you're, you're out at Walmart and they, they encourage you not to be in uniform when you're conducting personal duties. In fact, you're not supposed to be in uniform, but that's life. You, it's, it's easier to go to the store after wearing a uniform all day and then getting your groceries and then going home and showering right. and eating and all that. It's just, it's more convenient. You're not going to take a change of clothes in your car just to go to the grocery store. And, and everyone still knows you're a soldier or a Marine or airman um, or a seaman or anything like that because your haircut and how you stand. And sometimes they see your dog tags and everyone knows yeah. it anyway. But uh, it was just, it was, you hear it all the time. And it, it was like clockwork. You could, you could almost see the person about to say it to you. It's like they make eye contact and they're thinking about saying it. And you're like, what am I going to say? What, yeah, what am I going to say? You know, it, you, do you say no problem or do you say you're welcome? And, you know, the, the generation that I fall in, a lot of us, we, we've, we've strolled away from saying you're welcome. It's like, hey, it's no problem. Okay, or, I was just like, what's now the response? You, you know, I, we often we say, oh, it's no problem or it's not an issue. And, you know, someone brought that up to me the other day. They're like, why don't you say, you know, you're welcome. I was like, well, because I don't think I'm doing you a duty. I, oh, I just okay. feel like I just feel like it's something I as a person should be doing. OK, I never even thought of that. I love that. Um, but like I said, thank you so much. And I think with fly fishing, as we were talking before, um, you also, um, you use fly tying also on top of fly fishing to kind of keep you grounded. Cause like you said, that story where you just put a new jig or whatever it was on there and then flung it out. Um, but you've really, you have some amazing fly tying, um, experience. How did that, did that happen after that day? We're like, okay, I'm going to, I also like now fly tying. I have been fly tying one day longer than I've been fly fishing um, <laughs> or excuse me, one day less. I lost all of those flies. I, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's a different beast. And, you know, I find this really funny. I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear telling you this. I, uh, that fly rod, I, that combo I got didn't come with a leader. So I, I tied on a pound of 10 pound fluorocarbon just straight to to the end of my fly line and I thought that was the way to do it I was like man all these flies sink I was I was really under the impression I was like I thought flies floated man like, <laughs> <laughs> I need a bigger fly yeah that's, that's foam. <laughs> yeah that's exactly what I thought I was like man maybe I should put this under a bobber you know and but but I snagged them all on the bottom of this this lake I was fishing so I lost them all and I was like okay I make my own plastics I own a bait company. I'm going to make my own flies. So, well, you know, Texas being the mecca of fly fishing in the United States, um, it was just so easy to go to a fly shop and buy materials. Not at all. <laughs> no, I was going <laughs> to say. The, the closest shop, I think, is two and a half hours. And then the closest ones from those are six. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, you're looking on Amazon 
and all these other vendors online, you're like, man, those are, those are really cheap and affordable, but I just don't know that they'll last. So anyway, I, I get this bait holder hook. It's like a size six. It's giant. And, and I, and I crimp the barb on it because I see everyone doing that on all these YouTube flying tutorials. They're like, yeah, make sure you crimp your barb. I was like, okay, I'm crimping my barb. I put it in there and I'm using like normal thread from a sewing kit. And, uh, I have this, these, these bench, I have a bench vise and then two C clamps holding a pair of micro needle nose pliers. Now I've MacGyvered this setup on the side of my table. And I have this bait holder hook in there and I, I take some feathers I found off the bank, um, some fur from one of my cat's toys. <laughs> and I tie up this monstrosity of a nymph and then I cover it in um, Loctite super glue, not like a normal <laughs> head cement or anything. It's hard as a rock. And I, and I caught fish on it. Wow. I, was like, I was like, this is my calling. This is it, man. <laughs> You got the good mojo. I bet you just are like, it kind of goes from your fingers down to the vise. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you caught like that bass with that amount of heavy line. And uh, I think it's pretty, pretty good testimony to good mojo going on over there. <laughs> Tell me a bit more about this, uh, the bait shop or the bait flies that you create. Is that still your number one business? It's not actually. Um, as, as, as much as I'd like it to be, that's a dream someday. You know, uh, when I started it up, I had these, um, I, I said in the email, you know, dreams of grandeur, because that's what I thought. I was like, man, you know, I'm going to make these baits. I know a couple guys. I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in the industry. And someday you're going to see my logo on the Bassmaster stage, you know, because they have, they have all the sponsors back there. That's what I told myself, right? Because you got to dream and you got to dream big. Yep. But, you know, a dream without a plan is just a dream. And that's what I had. So that is, it's, it's, I, I honestly, I probably give away more stuff than I sell. Um, but it, it's like, like we spoke about earlier, it's just a way for me to stay grounded, stay humble and really just get some of my, my artistic, I guess the left side of my brain. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? I hear you. And I, I, I love it. I mean, Justin, I wish I was better at fly tying. I, maybe it's because I just like to be on the water. I have other, I have other outlets, um, but it's he's always tying flies, and I think it's really fun when you're kind of creating these flies and you're handing them out to your buddies. And I think the biggest reward is when your buddy catches a fish on your fly and is asking for more of those flies. And so um, it's not always about monetary, you know, greatness. Um, I. You know, that's when people are enjoying your flies and they're catching fish with them. And, you know, I agree completely. Absolutely. You know, that's that that's what the, the the whole. So my company's slogan is eating big. Right. I love it. And and the whole story behind that is not a lot of people know because it's one YouTube video. That's like 22 seconds long from a year ago. And uh, that's when I started all this. It's, it's been like 11 months. Uh, next month will be 11 wow. months. And um, it's just being a part of, it's the potential to be a part of someone's memory. Yes. You know, I don't, I don't want to be famous. I just want to be remembered. 
Yeah, I love that. That is so true. Um, well, and on top of that, I mean, you also have a podcast called, um, what is it? Working class pod? Is it the... It's, it's working class fishing. Yes, I love that name. Because I mean, if anything, a lot of people who are in the fishing, who are out there fishing is probably a lot of the working class, even though getting into fly fishing seems like it's a big, um, expensive sport to get into in the beginning. But once you get into it, um, you have those those rods, unless you're buying the $45 rod yes. reel and combination. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this podcast. Like how so- did it all come together? I was standing in line at Walmart venting to my friend, Brian. Brian's the other host of the podcast. And, you know, any, anytime I've got a gripe, Brian, Brian's pretty much my best friend. And I talk to him about anything. And what I, what I ended up doing is I, uh, not to start drama or anything, but. Oh, don't, we can start drama. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's okay. <laughs> so I, I messaged a shop, um, a shop here in Texas. and. Um, I, I asked him, I said, hey, what, what kind of soles do I need in my wading boots to go wade this, this river and creek by your shop? And I actually found out about that shop from listening to, you know, the deep, dark depths of YouTube's podcast for fly fishing. And okay. I, was, I was like, and, you know, they made them out. They said, yeah, just email us, message us on Instagram, call us, do whatever, and we'll get, we'll get back to you, uh, you know, pretty much they're making it sound like immediately. So a week later they got back to me and I was so, I was really put out with that. I know it's, it's so small in the grand scheme of things. It's like why, Mm -hmm. you know, it it goes back to that whole, you know, carry your own weather thing. Don't let other people's, you know, emotions and feelings impact your decisions, emotions and feelings, you know, it's, but I was so put out with it because I was like, man, I really want to take this trip and go fish this, but I don't want to be ice skating all day. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not fun. That's, that's not safe for me. So I'm venting to him and I was like, man, those guys, they really made me mad. And he's like, <laughs> well, why don't we just make a podcast and we can, you know, we can fill in these gaps of information that people need. And, you know, we were talking about it and it, it came together in like 45 minutes. We decided we're doing it. And then I think it was that next two weeks, we had an outline for the first 10 episodes. And then the the whole idea of it is there's this perceived inaccessibility for fishing, especially in the fly fishing domain of it, that if you don't spend $500 on your rod, it's not a good rod or that people look down on you because you do something a certain way. Um, you know, if, if you're fishing with a worm and bobber, you know, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but you, you have those those jerks everywhere, but people look down on you and they talk bad to you and they make you feel, you know, like the size of an ant. Yeah. And, but you there's mean no- there's fly shops out there that make you feel uncomfortable when you walk in and you ask about a fly and they say, do you know where you're going? I mean, I've never had that happen before, but. Oh, never, never. <laughs> never. I know. Never. I feel like there's such a mix of, and I'm um, not saying, cause I've had some really wonderful people on the, on the podcast that um, have shops, but there's definitely shops out there and, and, and it's not, maybe it's a client who's a guide um, who's been guiding for a hundred days and they just don't even want to deal with any questions. And I think that's unfortunately, sometimes you deal with kind of grumpy people, um, in the fly shop. I mean, <laughs> I think everyone's I mean, had that experience. You know, that, that happens, you know, that's just us as humans though. We're not always a hundred percent every day. And, you know, looking yeah. back on the whole, 
what kind of boots do I need to wear? You know, it's, it's really, it's not important, you know, but what was important to us is letting people know that, you know, you can get into fishing whatever way you want to, and you can do it affordably and we'll help you through it. If you have a question, ask us, if we don't know, we'll find the information. You know, that was, that was the whole thing. And we have all these pretty amazing people come on and share their stories and, it's it's just it's been it's been unreal it's been fantastic uh it's i feel like you've done a lot during because what how long how long has the podcast been running for uh two months i mean i think what's so great about it is that you know i think with um this whole pandemic that's been going on for the past two years you've created quite an amazing space for yourself um with the fly tying the bait and now a podcast Um, I think that's also about just staying grounded is like, Hey, when things are starting to feel, especially this time, no matter wherever you sit, it's just an uncomfortable place to be, um, honestly, and it's unknowing. And so you got to figure out what elements you can control. And that's part of probably like going fishing, creating flies or podcasts and being creative, like these outlets, um, because if you don't have these outlets and you kind of keep it inside, it can totally burst at some point. I mean, that's how this podcast came about too, is, um, you know, we'll probably be two years in, in March and it was like, Hey, everything's locked down. Like we need to start sharing stories. So that way we're still connecting with people because we're still a society that needs people and communication and stories. Yeah, and I agree. I think I think that was really well said. So many people just felt closed off, and I think a lot of folks still do. You know, closed off from what they think is you know the the real world. You know, it's uh, whether it's you know your fears or your beliefs, whatever's got you inside. But they they still need a way to stay in contact with people, and yeah. you know, I've, I've got a you know, a few other friends that they've got outdoor podcasts and hiking podcasts and stuff. And, and it, it seems like it's, it's almost a record on repeat. It's like we, a lot of us anyway, we, we needed something to keep us engaged with people. And I, I've, you know, you, you just said it so well, it was, it, yeah. it's just been, it's been so great. Um, I was going to say, so you're in Texas. And I was like, Hey, I'm running a little late on the podcast today. You're like, not a problem. I'm just driving back from fishing. And it seems like this is something that you do on a daily routine that you squeeze in fishing every day. Can you tell me a little bit about your home waters? Yeah. So, um, in regards to, you know, trout, uh, I, my closest home water is an hour and a half away. It's actually in Arkansas. I, uh, I live in Northeast Texas and all my <laughs> trout fishing yeah, all my trout fishing, I drive into Arkansas to do, except when they stock our local pond in December, which is which will mark my year of fly fishing. Oh, wow. So not very long. Yeah, not long at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You've, done, you've crammed in so much in the past like two years. I think it's amazing. You know, I, I just fell in love with it. You know, it's, it's hard not to. There's, it's, it's rich in culture and it's it's not just here in the United States. It's, it's worldwide. Everyone yes. everywhere has some form of fly fishing. So, but my closest water is probably about, I don't know, 
there's, there's a, there's a lake that has like 10 pound bass in it, like 10 minutes from my house. Um, I have yet to catch one probably because there's alligator there now. And oh my gosh, no. Have you my, ever had an experience with an alligator while fishing? Not while fishing. No, I have seen some at like Disneyland when I was a kid or Disney world. <laughs> I'm not sure which one that is. I saw those and oh, I've seen them at a, you know, like aquariums and zoos and stuff, but I've never seen one in person out okay. in the wild, thankfully. Oh yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> I spend most of my time on a, a river system that's about 15 minutes from the house. And that's where I do most of my fishing is on that river. So when you go fishing, will, you, will it only be your fly rod or will you also bring some tackle? Are you kind of like, I'm ambidextrous here. I'll do whatever. I am, I would say 98% fly fishing only. Um, Majority, literally until yesterday, I hadn't picked up a, you know, a traditional rod and reel in eight or nine months. Wow. That's just how much fly fishing just turned for you. It it is. It's, uh, when I say I fell in love with it, I mean head over heels. I, I cast every day. What do you think about it is so much, I mean, I, what resonates the most with you with fly fishing as opposed to uh, the tackle? It is, it's gratifying in a lot of different ways. Um, I, a lot of guys might get upset when I say this, but you know, standard gear is a lot of point and click. Mm-hmm. It's um, okay. Well, I put my thumb on this spool and I click this button down and I do a, a rolling motion and I point my rod tip. And I look at where I want to cast and hopefully with enough practice, my bait will go there. And then, but there, there are some really finite details about, you know, traditional fishing. That's, it's very complicated and get in depth real quick. You can, you can open up a whole can of worms for lack of a better term. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I, you know, those guys who get out there and they, they do it full time as a job and a career, more power to them because it's hard. It's, it's really hard to do that. But for me, it was, I, I got pretty decent at it. You know, I could skip jigs under trees and I could, I could, you know, pitch, pitch a, you know, a jig. I, I fish a lot of jigs and can't tell. I, I can pitch a jig in a coffee can from my doorstep to like the middle of my cul-de-sac. <laughs> nice and and it's, and it's not i'm not bragging it's just i i've i fished that way for you know <laughs> 27 years uh, i literally started fishing when i was two i'll send you a picture if people yes. want to see it of yes i'm wearing a diaper with a bottle in my mouth and a fishing pole <laughs> and you know that was that was that was my whole life forever was just fishing and then but getting derailed here but why fly fishing is so gratifying to me is i have to manipulate every action to make that fly do what it needs to do Mm -hmm. i I fish a lot of streamers and there's a lot of different techniques you know like killing your fly and then putting actual slack in your line to make it swing a certain direction in the drift you know it's there there's a lot more to it than just like oh man double haul this out there a hundred feet and then you know just strip it in and you're the best at it you know it's it's a lot of practicing especially double hauls for me that's because i I fish a lot of different weight rods all the time you know i fish from a four weight all the way up to a 10 weight right right and 
and it's it's very different for each type of fly you're throwing and when you when you can get that even if it's a roll cast with my four weight and i'm you know sitting there with my hand in my pocket because it's cold and you know it's just that nice elegant roll cast that doesn't happen very often by the way (laughs) it is but it lays out perfect and it presents right and then bam it gets slammed and it's like because i casted well and i presented that fly like food i caught that fish i love it what's like the best fly fishing catch that you've had so far that sticks with you man the the i have quite a few um i guess i'll give you two yes if if we've got time for it the first one is i caught a southern strain appalachian brook trout oh beautiful and um people talk they're like well what's it makes it a southern strain well it's it's the spots on their upper fins um that they get uh in in the south and I guess it's a lot more than just different spots. Uh, my buddy Aaron could go in real depth about that, but we hiked what seemed like an eternity up to this waterfall in a uh, national forest with, I was there with two Tinkara guys, <laughs> two of my buddies, and we're catching brook trout out of the clearest, cleanest water I've ever seen in my life. Nice. It, it, was, it was just unreal. That's my most memorable one. I but love if, that. But if we were going, you know, just full-blown, like, what what made your heart race the most when you realized what you had on the end was, uh, I've, I've caught a few now, but my biggest trophy long nose gar. Yes, was, I was waiting was for just, this story. <laughs> <laughs> was, it was just right over 56 inches. Oh, my gosh. Which, after listening to the podcast uh, with... Uh, Ryan King. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is that is such an incredible to be catching any of those fish. I don't even know how you do it because long nose, right? Um, King said uh, that they have to snap their head to the side when they eat. And it's almost near impossible. You can't do it in the front. You have to do it. The fly has to be on there right to the side of them. So, yeah, they they snap to the side and it's like tongs, you know, you, you pick up this pair of kitchen tongs and, you know, click, click, click. Well, they're going to grab that. They're, they're going to snap to the side or if it's, you know, right in front of them, they'll take it there, too. But traditionally, probably more to the side, like Ryan's saying, and they'll take that bait sideways in their mouth. Well, you'll feel it. You'll actually feel it on your line. It's pressure and then it's loose and then it's pressure and it's loose and it's pressure and it's loose. And that's them turning that fly in their mouth. Did, did you know what you had on when you had the fish on the, on the line? Could you see it? So that was, you know, when you tell yourself last cast and then you make 34 more casts. Well, this was my actual last cast of the day. I told myself, I said, this is my last cast. (laughs) It is, it is really hot out here. My hands are starting to cramp up from you know just stripping line yes you know it's i'm like my hands are cramping up my shoulders starting to hurt this is my last cast and i'm literally looking up this rock face that i have to climb to get back up to my truck and i strip once and i feel the pressure so when you're gar fishing i mean ryan will let you know when you come down but you have to unlearn a lot of habits that you've built for streamer fishing Because when a guard takes it, Uh let go of the fly line. You have to let him take it. 
So I will literally loosen my drag and let them run down the river. And I'll count to, you know, four or five or six. And I'll just slowly tighten my drag back up. And then I will set as hard as I can into that fish. I thought I had a small fish because it was barely moving my line when I loosened my drag. I mean, barely moving it. I was like, okay, well, at least it's a fish. I'll take that. I'll take a fish on the last cast. And then, so I tightened my drag down. I got a little bit of slack out of my line and I stripped into it. And I still thought it was small because it was swimming towards me. <laughs> and then I stripped again and then it turned. And it took off. And literally in that amount of time, I was in my backing <laughs> on, on my 10 weight. And I was like, this Were is a huge fish. Were you screaming or like, what, what do you do? Like, cause normally when I have a big fish, I'm just really quiet. Like I'm almost like a ghost. Like I like trying to get it in. Like, were you just like nervous or screaming or, um, just kind of ghost like. Had it been like five months prior, I would have been hollering, <laughs> but I'm, I'm after, I'm after the state record. And every time I garfish, I have to keep that in mind because I want to beat Ryan. Ryan is my buddy, but I'm coming for him. <laughs> Love it. And so you keep that in mind and you prepare for that. You prepare for that big fish. So it's exciting, but you have to hit that checklist in your mind. You have to say, okay, the fish is on. I have to have a witness. I have to have a witness. So I'm, I'm, I'm hollering at this guy down the bank. I'm like, hey, 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 he, he's not even looking up. So I get louder and louder and he looks at me. It's like, if I land this fish, I need you to be my witness. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? And then the fish came up and he saw it he, and he starts cussing. He's like, get that fish, get that fish. <laughs> and anyway, so I'm running down the bank towards him because the fish is going the other way and I've got to keep tension on my fly line. I'm, th this is where I start to lose my composure a little bit because like I said, I'm standing on rocks. Uh -huh. You know, I'm, we I'm wearing my cowboy boots and I'm trying not to die <laughs> running up these rocks. You're wearing cowboy and boots from fishing? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. it. Well, we got a lot of snakes around here and I ain't trying to mess with no snakes in my slip-ons or my wading shoes. <laughs> that reminds me of, what is it, Toy Story? There's a snake in my boots. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, that's why <laughs> Woody is the exact reason why I'm trying not to have a snake in my boots. There you go. There you go. Okay. This is so funny. Okay, continue. So, I finally get it up on the bank. All right. Here's lesson two from... John Morris, the most unexperienced gar angler in the world. When you get the fish on the bank, you get ready for it to rip off again because it is not ready to come in. Your first time getting a gar in, it is not ready. I have lost so many giant fish at the bank because I think it's ready and I'll start reaching down to grab its nose uh -uh. and it'll take right back off. And because you don't have as much line to get that rod flex, it'll just take your whole leader. I, I literally, I literally had one take my nail knot and rip the PVC off my fly line. Oh my gosh, that is insane. That was on an eight weight, by the way. Oh my so god. So eight weight, eight weight fly line, and then my my whole guard leader. Anyway, so it's then we really see it, and I was, and I then I'm, I'm, I'm white knuckled. I'm telling this guy beside me, I'm like, hey, this might be the state record. This, this literally might be the state record fish. 
and uh, I f this whole fight took about 35 minutes. Oh my gosh, were you just exhausted? I, I was, I didn't realize how tired I was until afterwards because of that, ad that adrenaline just pumping. I was like, we got it in and we got it on the bank. And the first thing I did is I dumped my whole bag out on the ground and I'll send you this exact picture. I dumped my whole bag out on the ground, <laughs> my tape measures, my leaders, my flies, my water bottles, bug spray, all that, everything's <laughs> on the ground so I can get my tape measure. So the first, so I'm grabbing this 25, 30 pound fish by the nose and I'm ripping my fly out of its teeth because my first thing is fish safety. I have to get this fish safely released back in the water. That's my first priority. So I don't care if it ruins my fly. I don't care if it ruins my gear. Oh. I'm going to get this fly out of this fish's mouth. So I remove the fly. I grab one end of the tape measure and I throw the other end to the other guy. And I'm like, I'm going to stay at the mouth because I've got gloves and you measure it. And he measured it and he didn't pinch the tail and I ain't knocking the guy, <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pinch the tail to get the absolute official length. But I know it was, it was uh five sixteenths away from being 57 inches. No. Oh my gosh. And then what happened after that? Like once you got the, and you, do you take a picture? I, I, because it was the biggest I had caught normally I would just release. Yeah. But since it was my new biggest fish, I was like, hey, man, grab a picture real quick, and then I'm going to get this back in the water. So he pulled out his phone. He took a picture for me. He texted it to me. And uh, before he ever even finished sending the message, I had already put that fish back in the water. Okay. Because um, how old do you think that fish was? Because, I mean, like you said, Ryan King, he's he said like a big fish like that can be like 60 years old or something like that. I, to be honest, I don't have an exact age. I'd have to get with Ryan, Yeah, but it's a very old fish. That fish is, that, that fish is much older than I am. And it, it was just, it was so gorgeous. It was, I, that when I picked it up, that's when I could tell I was tired. Yeah. That's <laughs> when you're like, Oh, when the adrenaline wears down and all of a sudden you're yeah. like there, were you nervous when you looked at your pack and maybe thought maybe there's a rattlesnake in there? I, I couldn't do that. That's where I'd be nervous. I'd be like looking at my pack and thinking maybe the rattlesnake went in there, but what an amazing feat. It was, it, thank you. <laughs> it was unreal. It was, it was funny. It was nerve wracking and it was really gratifying. Now, is that your go-to fish? Is that the fish that like, when you think about what you love, why you love fly fishing, is it the, is it the gar or is it the bass or is it the trout? You know, I, I have an adoration for every species. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't say that, you know, very nonchalantly, I really do. There's not a fish I don't like except for Asian carp. Yeah. That is, that is the only fish I do not like at all. And that's because they are, they are absolutely ruining our waterways. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. There's, well, there's some people who love carp fishing. I haven't gotten into it. Um, but yeah, I remember Ryan King was talking about that, how, um, the system, there's just so many Asian carp. Yeah. So, you know, the, the carp we see on, uh, let's say Instagram or other forms of social media, but you know, those are a lot of mirror carp and common carp yeah. and grass carp. Those are cool. Um, but Asian carp are an incredibly, 
uh, prolific invasive species, they, they're growing at a rate of almost double the normal fish. So what a lot of these fisheries have done is they started stocking these behemoth catfish in their lakes in hopes that the catfish can eat the carp. But the issue is the carp get too big for the catfish to eat them. And it's, they're, it's really bad. I've, I've got some, um, some acquaintances, I wouldn't say friends, they're good, they're good dudes, but they've done a lot of studies on the Asian carp and they're in a a lot of work. It's actually a commercial fishing industry now. Hmm. Um, if you see like silverback or, um, silver, silverfish and stuff like that in your markets, Mm -hmm. um, some of that is Asian carp. Really? I had no idea. People, people don't know that and they're eating it and they're like, well, tilapia is so much better. Oh gosh, tilapia. And it's like, well, tilapia is a bottom eating fish also because people are like, man, I've never eaten Asian carp, <laughs> but, but they'll go fry up some tilapia and it's like, man. Oh my gosh. I worked for, um, uh, outdoor hunting, fishing, or show, and it was a chef, Scott Laysath. And anyways, he, um, he always told me, I was like, what, what would you say you should not eat? And on hit the premise of that show was that you eat weird stuff like squirrel, um, beaver. And he's like tilapia. I would never, ever eat tilapia. Like don't go to the grocery store and buy tilapia. And so that has always resonated with me. Anytime I think about going to a restaurant, if I see tilapia, I'm like, I think of Scott Lisa telling me how gross those fish are on the bottom. <laughs> they're like you said, they're bottom feeders and they eat the grossest amount of stuff. And that's what's going in your body. They do. So don't eat tilapia. That is. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were just saying, so you already today, you've already accomplished going fishing an hour and a half away. And then tonight though, you are going to be going fishing just a few minutes away from your home. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be hitting the river. Uh, one of the rivers here in pursuit of that new record. <laughs> so, John, if people are wanting to see your work with the fly tying, the bait, um, and also learn more about the uh, Working Class uh, Fishing Podcast, um, how do they, what's the best way of them keeping up with you? Well, you know, honestly, the best way to probably get a hold of me is Instagram. It's the most easily accessible. Um, you, you can find all the links for associated, you know, uh, working class fishings okay. there. Uh, everything's just there. If you if you search for me at Morris and Son Custom Baits, you can find me there. And uh, feel free to shoot me a message or if you want my email, uh, I can give you any of that. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. <laughs> and then when does the working class fishing podcast, like how often does that air? How can they follow? So, uh, you know, as, as the name kind of goes, we are both working class gents <laughs> that run it. So we've got a balanced life in the mix of fishing and the podcast. Uh, we do have a couple guests lined up, Awesome! but the salmon, the salmon run is going on for Brian right now. <laughs> and that's, he's, he's pretty locked in on that. So it's, it, it'll probably be a little bit before we get our next guest on. <laughs> Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, 
And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.